Live from the Tech Talk Studios hey. in the nation's capital and the heartland of America. It's Tech Talk. Well, it's Friday again, and it's time for Tech Talk. I'm Brad Gost, my co-host, the one and only, the nationally known Dr. Jay Greenstein. I call him the Data Doc of Talk, but he's really a great guy. Jay, what are you doing today, buddy? I'm hanging out with you, Brad. This is the third time I've seen you today. Uh, so we've been spending a lot of time together. And, and, and the third time I've seen Joey this week. So it's, all, it's been a great week, right? A great day and a great week. You know, we've got a podcast I'm really looking forward to. Uh, both of our friends, I can call him friend now. I, I've, I've seen him enough times in person and, uh, and, Hung out. and on, on screen and on phone. And uh, that I, I hope I can call him my friend now. A great uh Wonderful man, wonderful human being. Uh, I've enjoyed getting to know you. The one and only uh, Mr. Joey Coleman. Joey, oh. welcome to Tech Talk today, buddy. Brad, you you are too kind. You are too kind. You absolutely can call me a friend. I'm honored to call you a friend. Excited to be here with two absolute rock stars, part of the Tech Talk. I'm feeling it. I've been pumped for this conversation <laughs> since we put it on the calendar weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, you know, jo- Joey, I was sort of, I was sort of googling your name here, uh, pre-show. Oh, perfect, perfect. No. Jo- Joey Coleman in Florida, right? To just see what happened. I love this. This is a great. I remember. I, I would like to uh, retract my earlier comment about our friendship and reserve it until the end of this part of the conversation. Well, you know, I thought there's there's got to be only one Joey Coleman out there, the one and only think, the Joey right? Coleman experience kind of thing. But, buddy, you know what? You are the founder and CEO of KPI Dispensaries. That's, that's <laughs> pretty interesting. Yep, one. that's that's, that's the Joey Col- that's that's the Joey that's Coleman ironic. in Colorado. I, I actually am familiar <laughs> with that Joey Coleman, not the same Joey Coleman, but I know who you're talking about. And you are a a site reliability engineering manager now that is a pretty amazing title that might title that might fit you buddy that's impressive no that joey coleman i do not know i thought you were going to talk about the joey coleman that used to be a child actor or the joey coleman that is now a blogger in canada who uh writes all about the hamilton government he and i are the ones that get confused the most because he's wow. joeycoleman.ca and i'm joeycoleman.com and we get emails for each other all the time we've never actually met i need to meet him but we're you know constantly getting emails and messages back and forth but he's huge on twitter i'm not on twitter so if you see joey coleman on twitter it's that it's guy not- the canadian <laughs> it's my canadian doppelganger well, who know, is joey got- coleman the child actor who is that yeah, it's the same one. It's the it's that oh, Joey it is? Coleman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so yeah, so I, he was in a couple uh, couple of shows back in the day in Canada or or, or like oh in global TV shows, in the US. global shows. I don't okay. want to out him too much, but let's just say there were a couple of shows. Google is your friend. Go Google it. Friends. I, I will I hope it. check it out. But the one that confused me the most that I couldn't figure out how were you doing this was Joey Coleman, the plumber in South Carolina. <laughs> Again, alas, not a Joey Coleman I have actually met, but boy, do I need that because my plumbing skills are zero. And whenever I have a plumbing problem, it's all about calling for help. So maybe I'll get the Joey Coleman from South Carolina to journey to where I'm at to help me with plumbing issues. No, so all fun aside, I, you know, I've Googled my, my name and I tell you what, I, I've got one in New York City 
that is exactly the way I spell it. My the same middle name and the same last name. He's an attorney, wow. uh, attorney in New York City. Yeah, uh, you know, a couple of times I've because your accent is very New York, Brad. It is. I, I, I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, I've always thought of you as being a New Yorker, so that that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> very Brooklyn. Hundred <laughs> percent Brooklyn baby. Slightly, slightly Staten Island when he's tired, yeah, but you know, other than that, you know, late at night it turns into that. But other than that, hundred percent. Lower South Side of New York City, huh? <laughs> yeah, the southern part of Manhattan, Battery Park, <laughs> way down on the it's island, way south, way yeah, south number, on the island. Yeah, bench number two in Battery Park is my uh, New York City address. <laughs> I've stayed at that place. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I collect tips going to the, you know, the ferry going back and forth. That's my <laughs> primary source of income when I'm nice. there in New York nice. City. No, really. All fun aside, Joey, it is great to have you on today. Um, we, we talk with you about a lot of things. We're going to start out with Joey Cummins got a new book coming out. Joey, what is that new book? So the new book is a variation on a theme on the last book. The last book was called Never Lose a Customer Again. The new book is called Never Lose an Employee Again. Because the practical reality, friends, is if we want to deliver remarkable customer experiences, we got to take care of our employees. And what we found, especially in 2023 and beyond, it's hard to find great people and get them to join your organization and then keep them at your organization long term. And if you're a business of any size working in any industry, how you think about recruiting, onboarding, training, and retaining your top talent really is probably the single most dispositive activity or responsibility on the long-term success of your organization of anything else. It's your people. How you take care of your people, who your people are, that moves the dial on everything else. 100%. So, so, so true. Joey, your first book, a Wall Street bestseller. And, you know, I I know through our conversations, like writing a book is hard. So, so what motivated you? What was that spark of inspiration? I I know that you want to, you do great things in the world. Not that you want to, you do great things in the world. But like, what was that? What was that spark? You're like, okay, I got to write the second book. Yeah, I think some people call it sadomasochism. No, um, actually, <laughs> we, we won't go there. You know, here's what happened, Jay. I always knew. I've, I've been doing customer experience for 20 years. And pretty early on into that process, I realized that you can't deliver a remarkable customer experience if you don't have fantastic employees. But the problem is in most organizations, they think of those two jobs or roles or responsibilities as being totally different. There's the people that are dealing with the customers, which is often your marketing team, your sales team, your operations team. You know, if you think about a chiropractor situation, you know, it's your front desk person, it's the chiropractor. But then you have these people on the other side that are dealing with your employees which is usually an HR department, you know, maybe some of the recruiters, you know, maybe you're partnering with an outside recruiter. And there's often a silo or a disconnect between those two worlds, even though I think we all instinctively know that the better the customer experience, it means you've got great employee experience. We've all walked into the restaurant where we felt treated like kings and queens because the employees were so amazing. And we've also all had the experience where we were doing business with someone and the employees were obnoxious. And don't you know it, the product was obnoxious as well. And it just missed the mark. So I've always thought there was a connection between the two. But what's interesting is 
about four months after my first book came out, I got an email from a reader. I'd never met this person before, haven't met him since. And the email just said, Dear Joey, if you wrote a book called Never Lose an Employee Again, I'd buy it. Signed, the reader's name. I thought, well, that's interesting. Didn't think a lot of it until I got about a dozen more emails over the course of the next few months. And finally, I, and, and that's all the email said. No additional context, no additional descriptions, just Joey, if you wrote a book called Never Lose an Employee Again, I'd buy it. So I decided to start doing some research. And as you two know, I've been a solo entrepreneur for a long time. Now, there have been times in my career where I had more employees. You know, at one point when I was, you know, practicing law as a lawyer, we had, you know, half a dozen employees. I ran an ad agency where I had about a dozen people. But for the last few years, I've been a solo entrepreneur. So I had kind of disconnected from the pain. I mean, the opportunity <laughs> of having employees. And the more I dove into the research and the more I started doing interviews and case studies, I realized that this is a huge issue for so many leaders, not just the founders and owners and CEOs, but even the managers who are managing teams and they've never been trained in management. The most recent research shows that the typical manager receives their first managerial training session at age 38. Oh Let me tell God. you, there's a lot of managers that are younger than 38 managing people. And so it's like, yeah. what are we doing to actually increase our chances for success by actually teaching people how to interact with people? Pretty straightforward. Yeah. And you know what? Like, I, I don't even use the word manage anymore, Joey. Like, it's all about so leadership, true. right? Absolutely. And it's, it's about making sure that you're engaging your people and supporting them. And I've done a complete 180 from when we first met and I was struggling. I remember being at the space that you owned in Washington, DC and telling you about Veronica who had just quit on me, you know, and I'm like, Joey, I don't know what to do. And you gave me some great advice as you always do, but man, it's, it's, it's been this journey of just learning. Like it's really, it truly really is all about your people. Like that's my job. I got to take care of my people. If they're happy, I know they're going to deliver incredible experiences. And we know from, at least in healthcare, we know the data is clear. You have great employee engagement scores. You've got high patient satisfaction and loyalty scores. So uh, leaders out there, business owners out there, you know, your people are not your biggest expense. They're your biggest asset. And so make sure that you're doing everything you can to lead and support them so you never lose them, especially the good ones. Absolutely, Jay. You know, and it's so funny that you would say that because I think many leaders think that their job is to lead. And it is, and that's important. But I believe the best leaders see their job as to support. They see their job as being obstacle removers, you know, empowerers, yep. enhancers, accelerators, yep. helping their people to make sure they have the right tools, the right support, the right vision, the right understanding to succeed. Because at the end of the day, that's what every employee wants to do. Every employee wants to go home and feel like they contributed to something bigger than themselves. So many employers think, oh, they're just about the paycheck. They're only just about the paycheck if you haven't given them any evidence of why you're about them, why you care about who they are as an individual. If you care about your people as individuals, the number of people that will surprise you with a, hey, I'm resigning, will decrease dramatically because you usually don't quit when you're working for your friend. That's exactly right. It, your people say like, oh, it's it's business or, you know, it's, it's it's just business. It's not personal. It's like those two, that's ridiculous. Of course yeah. it's personal, right? It's it, absolutely it's ridiculous. Absolutely and it's why I, and I try, I try to leave from a place of empathy in everything I do, but I'll admit I struggle 
to have empathy for the business owners who are like, well, it's, it's just business. It's not personal. I'm like, I could take a stopwatch and measure how much longer you're going to be in business, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. Those days are gone. And first of all, that was a bad idea 50 years ago when that concept started getting bandied about. It's sure yep. as heck a pathetic way to think about your business today. And we see that in the marketplace. The most recent research shows 65%. I'm going to say that again. 65% of current employees globally in all industries are considering a new job. Wow. 65%. That's crazy. So what I always ask leaders is, hey, just tell me which 65% of your people you'd be okay if they didn't come to work tomorrow. Because that's what we're playing with right now. And I don't think the typical leader realizes the scope or the magnitude of the threat that is bubbling within their organization because they don't take care of their people. Yeah. Joey, I have a question for you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to nerd out here because um, we, we're, we're always, all of us are about data. What is your research process? Because I know you do extensive research. So what is that process for you? Well, you know, I'm the first person to admit, Jay, that I love not being the smartest person in the room. And that's super easy for me to do. I just go find rooms and, whoa, look, I'm not the smartest person in the room. I love it. I'm also, as you guys know, a recovering attorney. Okay, first step submitting you have a problem. There's 11 steps after that. <laughs> but as an attorney, one thing I always learned and tried to do is to build a case. And the way you build a case is by getting evidence from a lot of different sources and then trying to anticipate what the objections will be to the arguments you're making and then go find research to address those objections. So my research process was extensive and I also had a hypothesis at the beginning that humans are humans. What I mean by that is that a worker in a chiropractic office has the same internal desires and compass as a worker picking up the garbage as a worker swinging a hammer doing roofing, as a surgeon sitting in a, you know, an operating room performing a surgery, as a lawyer in the courtroom. You know, regardless of your career choice, your job choice, most humans want the same thing. They want to feel like they're making progress in their career. They want to feel like they're earning an honest wage for an honest day's work. And they want to feel a sense of momentum that they're actually contributing to a greater impact because of their choices between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. So we looked at companies globally. It's why I'm thrilled that there are over 50 case studies in the book from all seven continents. I think I'm the first business book. That's I'm incredible. not sure. I've been trying to figure this out. Talk about hard research. I've been trying to figure out if there's ever been a business book that had a case study from all seven continents. If there hasn't been, we're the first. We've got it, right? That's so awesome. And what I found is across cultures, across industries, the motivators are the same. The desires are the same. And certainly I want to respect that there are different cultural differences and nuances and rules and regulations based on what jurisdiction you're in. But when we get to the human condition, when we get to human emotions, people want to enjoy going to work. They want to enjoy the people they work with. They want to understand and see and experience their contribution. And they want to celebrate when things go well and bond together when things don't go well. It's that simple. But it's also that hard. So what, ha what happened during COVID when we were all working remote? Those human relationships changed drastically. Is that the reason we're in the problem that we're in today? You know, I think what COVID did is it was an accelerator 
and a magnifier of something that already existed, Brad. I I think if we turn back the clock to 2019, it's not like employee engagement scores were through the roof and everybody was <laughs> loving their job, right? And what happened, I think, during COVID is a little bit of the emperor's got no clothes in the sense that we realized in many jobs, you didn't have to be at the work, at the office right. eight hours a day. You didn't have to do an hour long commute. You didn't need to sit in yet another meeting. You didn't need to fly across the country to have a conversation with someone. One of the, and there were plenty of negative things about COVID. I don't want to uh, dismiss the incredibly tragic negative aspects of the pandemic. But one of the positives is employers globally should have recognized, not all of them did, that they could think more creatively about where their people work. And the unlocking of that is something that we've never had in human history. If we go back to when the three of us were kids coming up, right? You know, let's say 40 years ago. How about that? You know, uh, well, 40 years ago, most people in your town worked for an employer in your town. Their job happened less than 30 miles away from their house. Now, there were exceptions to that, but the majority of people you interacted with commuted to work somewhere in the town or the next town over, and they did their work, and then they came home. Now, if your employer is in the same town you live in, it tells me one of a few things. Number one, you work in an industry, maybe like chiropractic care, where it's hands-on. We haven't figured out how to do remote adjustments. Until we do, you're going to have to come to the doctor's office, right? Um, you might work in an industry that is very regionally, tactically focused, like you have a lawn care business. Granted, you're probably going to keep the mowers in the same town where you mow the lawn, right? So you've got it there. But for most other jobs, you don't have to work where your employer is. You can work remotely. And not only, a lot of employers, I think, see this as, well, that's made it so much harder, Joey, because our people can work for anyone. Yes, but it's also made it better for you. You can hire employees anywhere in the world and have them working for you. And there's huge possibility and potential when we open our minds to how this all works. Amen. Absolutely. Hey, guys, we got to take a quick break. Um, and I just hate to even stop the conversation at this moment in time. And it's going to go by quick, but we've got to take a few seconds here to recognize our sponsors. This is Tech Talk. I'm Brad Cost, my co-host, Dr. Jay Greenstein, and our good friend, Doc, Dr. Joey Cole. <laughs> Dr. Joey. All right. Honorary doctor, baby. Yeah, we'll be right back. Damn, damn, damn. Let's slow it down. With the hot data jocks of talk. Ooh. It's Tech Talk. Welcome to Infinity. We have worked hard to create an electronic claims website that is simple and user-friendly. This is the public side. You can log into your personal web portal here. This is your dashboard. You can personalize it to your liking here. Our main focus has been to allow you to submit and edit claims as easy as possible. You will find our claims editor and claims processing is simple to use and straightforward. Our quick action bar is where you can find your most important information. Most of these icons will take you directly to the claims the number represents. You can easily view if you have any messages in your inbox of any unread alerts by looking for these blue numbers. To view the rest of our training videos to get the most of your Infinity experience, click this icon. We hope you find this web portal simple and easy to use. Thanks for letting us serve you.
Your weekly dose of talk. Get ready. With the data jocks of talk. Starting your weekend outright with the data jocks of talk. It's TikTok. What's up, everybody? It's Dr. J here, and I am so excited. We're having so much fun. Even during the breaks, we're having fun. It's Mr. Brad Koss, my awesome co-host, and our very, very good friend, Mr. Joey Coleman. What's up, Joey? Hey, friends. So great to be here. And thanks to everybody who's listening in, who's watching in, loving the conversation. So Joey, we are very excited because you're about to launch your second best-selling book. We know it's going to be a bestseller because that's what you do. Um, and I, I want to talk a bit more tactically so that the audience can really see the picture that you're painting in this book. So let's start first with recruiting. You know, we, we, we were all together at, at the live event a few weeks ago in Washington, D.C., and I, and I talked about having a recruiting process, using technology to assist in that process. But, but from your perspective, what are the critical elements to making sure that doctors, entrepreneurs, business owners are successful in this first part of bringing in the right people, doing the right work, sitting in the right seat? What is the most important thing they can do for recruiting right now? Well, I think the most important thing that any leader can do when it comes to recruiting is to figure out creative ways to give a candidate a feeling for what it will be like to work for you. I think all too often in the recruiting process, we're keeping it very sterile. Like, here are your job responsibilities. Here are four bullets of what you'll get as your benefits. Do, do, do. If that sounds interesting, apply here. Instead of giving someone a taste of what it's going to be like to come to work. What's a day in the life of the position you're hiring for look like? What's a week in the life look like? I think there are unbelievable opportunities for us to be creative in our use of video, in our use of storytelling, in our use of positioning to preview the brand spirit of our organization and use that as a way to attract people. You know, it's so fascinating how many businesses think about, well, how do we showcase to customers or to patients that they should come trust us and give us their hard-earned money? And yet when we think about employees, it's like, well, here's your J-O-B. Just come do it. And it's like, wait a second. <laughs> humans are humans. Whether you're a patient or a customer or an employee, you want to know what it's going to feel like. So I think there's an opportunity to bring the feeling forward and give them a taste during the recruiting process of what that's going to be. The other thing that I think is really interesting, guys, is that the typical leader went through the recruiting process a long time ago and is probably woefully disconnected from how painful that process is yeah. and how annoying that process is. And more importantly, how 
frustrating that process is, especially in the context of what are the communications going back and forth? So we see a job, we think, oh, that sounds interesting. We send our resume to an email and then we hear nothing. <laughs> and we wonder, did they, get, did they get it? And our mind starts to play tricks on us. Well, they got it, but they must not have liked me. Or surely they've got thousands of other applicants they're going through right now. Or, well, maybe, maybe it didn't go through. Maybe something's wrong with my email. And we're creating all of this stress and angst when a simple autoresponder that said, hey, we got your application. We're going to be reviewing it in the next five days. And on day six, we're going to be getting back to you would work wonders and be unprecedented in their job application experience. And it's that simple. So taking an actual look at your recruiting process, what technology you're using, the timeframes, how you're communicating where you are in the process is huge. If I may, one of the things I love about the book is there are some really fun case studies in the book, right? We have over 50 of them from all seven continents. And at the end of the book, my final chapter is the ultimate case study that I wanted when I wrote this book. See, I'm what you call an A-fole, okay? I want to be enunciating very clearly there, friends, an A-fole, which is an adult (laughs) fan of Lego. I love building with Lego. My kids build with Lego. My wife and I build with Lego. We love Lego. There's Lego on the video here. You might see behind me, right? So I interviewed the HR team at Lego, And one of the beautiful things they do at Lego is for the people that are going through the application process, when they get to the final round of candidates, and there's usually three, and then they make the job offer to one of them, what usually happens in the typical organization? They send a form letter to the other two people that didn't get the job, and they say, I'm sorry, we've decided to go with another candidate. Good luck in your future endeavors. We've spent all this time trying to build rapport and build relationship, and they've almost reached the finish line with us. We like them enough to have them make the final cut. And then we send a form letter to say, sorry, thanks, but no thanks. We're not going to be working together. Lego does something very different. Lego sends a beautiful kit with a handwritten letter with some Lego sets in it and says, while we didn't hire you for this position. We know that you're amazing and we'd love to stay in conversation with you. We'd love to come back to you with other positions that we think might be interesting for you. We'd love if you continue to stay in communication with us about things you're learning and skill sets you're developing. What they told me is that if that first person that they hired doesn't actually work out, which we all know that happens. We've all had that position where we thought this is the one. We hire him, we bring him in, and then three months later, we're like, oh my gosh, I made the wrong decision. They got to go. When that happens, they've got two people primed, ready on deck, eager to accept that offer. And if you don't think those folks who were the also-rans, the second place, the third place, when they get that offer, don't come with a level of enthusiasm and excitement and commitment, you haven't been paying attention, friends, to how humans operate, right? And again, it's the little things. It's showing people you care. It's bringing a dose of humanity and empathy for where they're at, even early on in the recruiting process, and seeing the huge dividends that pays. God, I love that story. That's so that awesome. Great, that is so a great awesome. Story. That is a great story. Well, Joey, you know, you know we're all guilty. I, I'm being the oldest of, of this threesome here. 
you know, you, you're, you're taught. I was taught, just get out there and work hard. Go to the job. Work 10 hours a day, 15 hours a day. I, I've worked 100-hour weeks. I know what that is all about. And, and you know, knowing guys like Jay and you and stuff, my, my attitudes have changed over the last five or six years in, in, in drastic ways. COVID did have an effect on me. I was one of those thought, hey, if you can't come to work, you're just not for my team. And I, I've now changed that. And it's a good thing that I have because recruiting is not as easy in Tulsa, Oklahoma, as it may be in Washington, D.C. Our pool is much smaller. Now, we're great for immigrants that are coming. Uh, and we've got some amazing team members that are master's PhD that are immigrants from other countries. But you have to go along with the H-1Bs. And I, I love doing that. I love that diversity. Those are amazing things. But what now that we, we've selected that employee and we found that, how is the best way to bring them into that, as I call them, my family? And how's the best way to onboard them and bring them into that family and make them part of, of that group? Brad, I, I love this question because it's such a missed opportunity in so many organizations. You know, when we think of the first day on the job, and I ask everybody who's listening or watching to think back to your worst first day on the job. I imagine it looks something like this. You showed up with a little spring in your step. You were excited. This is your first day on the job. It's a new gig. You see the possibility, the potential. You're feeling good. And you go in, you open the door, and the receptionist is like, who are you? You're like, oh, I'm here for my first day on the job, Joey Coleman. They go, yeah, I'm sorry. I, uh, I, I'm. Who, who are you going to be working for? Who's your manager? They call down the manager. Oh wait, sorry, the manager's out that day on vacation. They call in the assistant manager. Somebody else. They come down. They're like, hey, sorry, I didn't know it was your first day. Uh, come with me. Let's go to the conference room. Uh, here's our operations manual and policies binder. <laughs> Why don't you sit down and read this? And then uh, I've got these video cassettes that were filmed in the '70s about workplace harassment. Why don't you watch these? And uh, when you're done watching them, I'll be back in about three hours. And we'll, we'll find some people to go to lunch with you. About three hours later, they come back. They're like, hey, great, we're going to go to lunch. Don't worry, you don't have to pay. Um, but we're going to take these five people you're going to be working with who none of them know who you are, have any context who you are. They're kind of a clique already. They're going to sit at one of the table and talk using acronyms and phrases you don't even know while you sit over at the end and pick at the food at the place you didn't even pick to go to. But don't worry, after lunch, we paid for it. Come back to the office and why don't you dive back into that manual for a while? You know, we'd take you to your office and show you your desk your computer, but IT didn't get your computer ordered yet, so that'll be here in about a week. We don't have your business cards or your phone set up. You, you know, now that I think about it, why don't you just come back tomorrow, and uh, we'll see you then. <laughs> now, the reason that hypothetical works is everyone listening has had that experience yeah. where we've showed up for the first day on the job, and they didn't even know who we were, let alone were prepared for us. There is a huge missed opportunity. Now, counterbalance that with a company out of Canada called Jam, run by a good friend of mine, Christy Harold. Jam runs sporting networks around the world. So basically, uh, think of your you know, like kickball league or your, uh, you know, your flag football league that folks are playing in and meeting friends and kind of connecting. And they also do remote things for folks like escape rooms via Zoom for company team bonding and that kind of thing. If you're a new employee at Jam, you're told to show up at the office at 10 a.m. Why? Because everyone else shows up at 9 a.m. and they want to make sure the entire company is there before you. You show up at 10 a.m., you pull into the parking lot, and there is a space reserved right next to the front door for you. 
and your manager standing outside there, your team leader standing to greet you as you pull up. They absolutely know who you are because they were involved in the interview process. They recognize you on site. They bring you in. And as you walk into the offices of the building, you hear music pumping through the entire office space. It's walk-on music. It's your walk-on music. Because as part of the interview process in a sports organization, they said, hey, if you were going up to the batter's box and you had a walk-on music, what would your song be? You tell them, then they feed that back on your first day. You walk in, you feel your jams, you've got a spring in your step, you're feeling good. And as you round the corner, you see a line of jam employees all wearing hockey sweaters with their name and the year which with they joined the organization. And it's the high five tunnel. And you go through the tunnel high fiving all your new coworkers. You get to the end and the CEO's there gives you a big high five and leads you into the conference room. As you come into the conference room on all the TV monitors in the conference room are all of their employees who work remotely, who are out on vacation that day, who are on site with a client, all chimed in to see you. They then ask you three questions. And what are the three questions? No one ever knows. Why? Because the CEO picks someone to ask the question. And the goal is to ask an unexpected question that will tell us a little bit about who you are. Questions like, who's your favorite sports team and what sport do they play? Questions like, what are you currently binging on Netflix or Disney Plus or Hulu or wherever you watch? What's the best book you ever read? If we suddenly had a week off of work and it was all expenses paid, where would you go in the world? you start to get a feel for what's going on. And as they ask the questions, the person who asked the question also has to answer the question. And then you're presented with your jam rookie hoodie, a hoodie sweatshirt with your name on it that you will wear as you welcome new people until your one year anniversary when you'll get your jam hockey sweater with your name and your year. Now counterbalance those two first days and tell me where you want to work. Bro, I'm going to tell you something. That just gave me the chills. I swear to God. And I think we do a good job of onboarding our new people. Man, we suck compared to that. That was amazing. That was amazing. Well, well, Christy Harold and the team at Jam do an incredible job. But if I may, if you're listening and you're like, oh, we could never do that. Don't be so tough on yourself because here's the thing. That's what they do because it fits them. That may not be the personality or the brand spirit of your organization. But what I can almost guarantee is that there are opportunities to let your brand spirit, to let your excitement show up for that new employee on their first day in ways that it's not currently showing up. Yeah, that's awesome. That is awesome. Uh, you know, I'm the same way. I'm sitting here trying to quietly make notes on the side, you know, <laughs> just so I, I don't forget because uh, you know, I'm trying to make a lot of changes and I'm trying to implement new things and exciting things. So those, those are great comments, Joey. Well, guys, it's time for another break. Uh, we're going to come back. And Joey, when we come back, I'm going to ask you a little bit about we found them, we've onboarded them, they're part of the family. How do we keep them in the house? You know, that's, uh, that's going to be our final question for you when we get back. I'm Brad Cost, my co-host, Dr. Jay Greenstein. Our guest today, Joey Coleman. We'll be right back. Stop. Follow. 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 Hit that follow button and spread the love with Tech Talk. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Jay Greenstein. This is Jay Greenstein. With me today is Dr. Jay Greenstein. Dr. Jay Greenstein. The world around us and healthcare specifically is changing at an exponential pace. Chiropractic is perfectly positioned like we have never been right now today to be more successful and to be more impactful 
for the communities and patients that we serve. There are all sorts of evidence-based guidelines that, that support the use of non-pharmacological approaches. But what I want America to know is that health doesn't come from a pill. It's our responsibility as healthcare providers to educate the community about the evidence that exists. We really need to have a private practice app, something that will help us engage with our patients in ways that they've never experienced before. The intersection of technology and quality care is where the future of healthcare is at, and I'm really excited to bring that forward in the future. Spreading the love. Oh. You're listening to the tech slot. It's TikTok. So we all feel it. Rent or dining out, gasoline or movies. As a matter of fact, the dollar is not going as far for a whole host of reasons. And it's impacting everybody, regardless of your financial situation. Did you know that 38% of the overall population is having to reconsider how they're spending their money just to afford the healthcare they need? And if you break it down further, 26% have actually delayed the healthcare that they need, including going to see you, the chiropractor. So here's what we need to know about the breakdown in demographics. You would think that someone who's making $120,000 or more would be continuing their care right now. But the actual number is 18%. 18% of that group is actually putting off healthcare. And that's a group of people making six figures. When you take that same information all the way down to a group making 40,000, that number is much higher. It's closer to 40%. So it's never been more important than now to make sure you've made it easy for your patients to come see you, that you have choices for them, and you understand what they're going through at home. We wanna make sure your practice thrives during this time, and we encourage you to learn about what Cairo Health USA can do for you and your practice and making it easy for patients to see you and continue care. to the future of healthcare with the data jocks of talk it's tech talk Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. It's Tech Talk. Welcome back. Uh, man, if you've not been listening, go back, start from the beginning, and replay again. Because this is one of those podcasts that's just a blast. It, not only is hosts like Jay and I, uh, but it's just a blast to listen to. And if, and if you're listening to the audios, you know, go back to the office, go back home and watch the video because 
you got to see Joey Coleman, and you got to <laughs> look for his his body movements and his. That, that's part of the Joey Coleman experience. Yeah, and it's important that you see that. So if you're an audio listener, this one time at least, come back and watch the video podcast. How's that for a lead in, Joey? So nice. I appreciate that. You're very kind, Brad. Well, Joey, we've talked about, like I said, we've talked about, you know, how do we find them? How do we onboard them, bring them into the family? Now, help us understand. Give us some case studies and some examples of how do we keep them year after year after year. I'm blessed that I got employees with me now for 20 some odd years. How do you keep that excitement going to keep them in the house, to keep them around? Brad, I love this question because there are so many wonderful employees in our organizations that have been with us. They're they're the reason we're still standing. They're the reason we've had the success we have. But here's the thing. How many employers aren't even recognizing anniversaries? How many times have we been in a situation? I was talking to a chiropractor the other day. said, Joey, one of my lead docs came up to me today and said, do you know what today is? It's my seven-year anniversary of being a doctor here. And with all due respect to my friend, he didn't know that it was her anniversary. Hmm. And if you're thinking, oh, what an idiot, I would ask you, can you tell me when the anniversary is of your most valued employee? You probably don't remember when they started. You might have forgotten what year you're on. Here's the thing. I've been married for 12 years. There's one main anniversary I focus on, right? I got that one down on lock. But we could do better as employers to remember the other important anniversaries. So what do you do and how do you celebrate those? Well, Jay and I have a mutual friend who's an absolute rock star of a human being named Tim Hawkins. Tim Hawkins runs an accounting company. I'm going to let you pick yourself up the floor. I'm about to tell a sexy story about accounting. (laughs) See, you're thinking, Joey, how do we do this in my industry? Friends, if an accountant can make it sexy, y'all have no excuse, okay? That y'all was for you, Brad. I threw that in just special for this episode, right? Exactly. I want to make sure, and and I'll even go further, and I'll pluralize it and say all y'all should listen to this one. (laughs) So here's the thing, what they do at LTBD, the accounting firm. At LTBD, after you've been at the firm for three years, you earn a sabbatical. Now, a number of organizations do sabbaticals, but LTBD is really intentional about their sabbatical. They want the sabbatical to create an experience that changes that employee's life. So what do they do? Well, a couple of things. Number one, you automatically get three weeks of paid vacation. This is separate from your regularly accrued vacation. You can actually attach it to your regularly accrued vacation so you can take up to five weeks of paid vacation. Number two, they give you $9,000 cash. Hmm. Why? Because they want you to go do something remarkable and they're not counting on you to have saved the money to go do something remarkable. They're going to fund this remarkable experience. And what they ask you to do is to go have an experience, do whatever you want, no strings attached. The only requirement is when you come back, you have to come to a team lunch with everybody in the company and share what you did on your sabbatical. They also ask you to bring back an artifact. They're very intentional in this word. An artifact from your sabbatical. Something that will serve as a physical memento or memory of what you did. And then that artifact is placed in their lobby 
with a small description of what you did. So when people walk into the office, they see all these random things on the wall with little descriptions of what the employee did. Not only is this power for the clients who come to visit, this is powerful for the employees who have not gone on a sabbatical yet, walking through and envisioning what the future could be, or those employees who have done their sabbatical and start planning their next one the week after they get back from their first three-year sabbatical. Let me give you an example of some of the cool sabbaticals they've done. One woman who was working for their company decided to take her friends to Paris to shop for her wedding dress. And she was able to use the money to fund for them to have a nice place to stay and go for a long weekend. And she brought back a painting that she bought. If you've ever been to Paris, there's lots of beautiful artists right there on the water. You can go down. She bought a little painting of Paris that is now in the office. Somebody else decided to go to South Africa and go on safari. And they brought back a sculpture, a wooden sculpture of an elephant like the one they saw on safari. But I got to wow. tell you, my favorite story is the single mom who had three kids, who had never really been able to afford to take her kids on what she felt was, a, you know, a really amazing vacation. And she took her kids camping in the mountains, a couple hours away from where the office was. So this wasn't jumping on a plane and going extravagant, but she took them camping. And when she came back, the stories that she had to share about the time with her kids about being able to afford to take them somewhere and have a remarkable experience, to take the time off of work, to not have to worry about how am I going to make the mortgage payment, how am I going to make the car payment, how am I going to pay all this stuff, because she had the money to do it. The message that that sends to your employees, that they matter, that their lives from 5 p.m. to 9 a.m., matter as much as their lives from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. speaks volumes about who you are as an organization and how you care about your people. It's not that hard, folks. You don't need to spend $9,000. You don't need to give them three weeks off of vacation. But I would ask you, if someone has contributed to your company for three years, day in and day out, and you can't afford to send them on sabbatical and give them a cash bonus, I'd like to have a conversation about how you're running your organization and how much you're valuing your people. Boom. Yeah. That's great. That is. So Joey, tell us when does the book come out? The book We're comes like out. We're chomping at the bit here. <laughs> I love it. The book comes out on June 27th. It's available in ebook and hard book and audiobook fashion. So if you've enjoyed listening to me share some of these stories. I tell you the stories. I narrate the audiobook. You can find it wherever books are sold. It's called Never Lose an Employee Again. And here's my promise to you. If you buy the book and you get the book, and you read the book and you do the exercises. There's questions in the books. There's downloads you can get, worksheets, templates. And you go through all of this and you say, you know what? I don't see the value, Joey. Wasn't worth the price I paid. Send me an email. My email is in the book multiple times. <laughs> Send me an email and I will personally refund the cost of the book. That's how confident I am that you can use this book to move the dial on the employee experience in your organization. And I would even argue, Joey, it's not it's not moving the dial. It like literally will change your life as a leader. Because when you have the type of team that buys in because they know they have your love and support and the mission is clear and everybody aligns on values and the processes that need to happen in order to move the organization forward, 
you're unstoppable. It changes your life. Absolutely. So, and as a little shout out that I didn't mention before intentionally because I knew he'd be shy and nervous about it. Dr. J's company, Kaizo, <laughs> Kaizo Health, is one of the 50 case studies in the book. Because if you've seen Jay on stage, if you've found his stories, his perspective, his leadership to be remarkable, and if you'd like to know how he treats his employees and how he onboards his employees, they do some incredible things with texting. Sending tech, you're probably not even sending text messages to your new hires. Jay's team has a whole texting sequence, which we profile in the book. They're sending videos, they're sending surveys, they're connecting with their people before they even show up on the first day on the job. And then, more importantly, they're using that information in a feedback loop to create remarkable experiences at month three, month six, year four, going forward because of things they learned in the recruiting and hiring process. For nothing else, get the inside scoop on the amazing Dr. J by reading the book. I'm telling you, there's some good stuff in there that I guarantee you don't know about Dr. J. Well, let me tell you, it was an honor to be even considered to be a case study. And again, man, like you have been so inspirational to me. You've helped me in so many ways. You've been a mentor to me and a guide on so many levels. And so much of what you did in your first book, Joey, Never Lose a Customer Again, gave us the ideas to do the things that we did. So you play a huge role in our success. And I just I got I just got to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Brother. Oh, thanks, appreciate buddy. You. I appreciate it. Mutual, mutual love association. I love it. That's right. That's right. All of us. So, Brad, can we talk some college football, bro, before we leave? Because I know we got to leave soon, but we got we to gotta talk some college football. Okay, so I, I, I want to talk football, but I'm gonna, I got to go back a couple of years, Joey. Uh, because we were on podcast, and we were talking college football. And, um, you, you know, you and Jay were talking your typical smack, Ohio State, Notre Dame. <laughs> we got to make sure the, the listeners have context. I know that they yes. know that Jay is an Ohio State guy. And I know that you bleed orange and black, right, Brad? Yep. I mean, Brad, yep. Brad's Oklahoma through and through, you know, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. State, the actual Oklahoma team, not that other Oklahoma team you might have heard of. And I am steeped in the wool, bleed blue and gold, Notre Dame fan. And by the way, how do you know someone went to Notre Dame and is a Notre Dame fan? Don't worry, they'll tell you. So I just did. <laughs> um, yeah. Sorry, Brad. What was your question? No, no. The point was that year... Notre Dame played Oklahoma State. We yep. did. And, dude, you were talking smack like yeah, anybody can beat O-State. I mean, anybody can, you know, O-State, what, who are they? Why are we? Why even bring in O-State up? And what happened at that game, Joey? You know, the game did not end up the way I would have liked. Oklahoma State eked out. I do believe it was a whopping two-point victory. When they were the higher-ranked team? I mean, they did a great job being the higher-ranked, everybody in Vegas thought they were going to win team. They absolutely, I mean, didn't beat the spread, but they were able to eke out a victory by two points. You are correct. Notre Dame uh, did not get it done, even though uh, Notre Dame was leading, I believe that would be 28-14 to 14 at half. Oklahoma yeah. State had an amazing third quarter. Came back, we, scored 17 points in the third quarter, and then we kind of eked out, I think, one each at the end, but it was enough for you guys to win by two. Well, you know so what? kudos you to know, you. 
He really prepped for that. That he play. did, man. He, did, he 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 remembers. First of all, he remembers, right? He already remembered, but he was ready to roll. He's he ready to was. be a I could tell. I uh, pulled the trigger, and he he shot right back at me. But hey, it was. But, an, I, I will concede it was an impressive win by Oklahoma State, and and probably one. I mean, do you think it was one of Oklahoma State's best wins ever? Because I feel like yeah. it kind of was. Well, it was a I great I kind of feel like it was. It was a bowl against game? Notre Dame? Against yeah. Notre Dame. I mean, I was excited that they had that win. Because, you know, there's not a whole lot of them <laughs> that they can point to. But historically, if they can point to that, I am thrilled, Brad, to be part of your best football victory story. <laughs> well, oh, my gosh. It's my well, honor. What did I even do here? Well, it's time to go. No. Wait, hold on. No, no, because we've got some Ohio State Notre Dame to talk about. So, so true. we played you guys last year. Good game, tough Good game, game, tough game. Right? We 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 won at home. Ohio State won at home. Won at home. Yeah. This year, however, you got Marcus in his second year, and I, I'm always rooting for him, bro. Like, because he's an Amazing. Ohio State guy, right? Yeah, I, well, number one, he's an Ohio State guy, but more importantly, I think, and and if I may, especially since I'm talking to two guys in the healthcare profession, I say this respectfully. When you look at the typical head coach of a Division One college football team. They are not a model for health and fitness. Right, exactly. I'm sorry. It's usually a train wreck where you're like, how is it that you are leading this team of the finest specimens of power, strength, you know, versatility, speed, speed, and you look like you probably would struggle to run to the end of the field to get a donut? (laughs) <laughs> then you've got Marcus Freeman, who I swear I see this guy come on the first time when he's announced his coach, and I'm thinking, he might suit up. He might he's suit up and run through the line. He's a beast. But what's even more powerful than that to me is this is a guy who, in my opinion, sees the role of football in society that all of us need to see, which is, especially for college athletes, it is a at max four five your decision and a sport, a game you're playing that maybe if you're incredibly lucky will lead to some time in the NFL where I think the average tenure in the NFL is like 3.4 years or something like that. It's tiny, but then you have the rest of your life to deal with the injuries you felt, the, the challenges. And what I love about coach Freeman is I think he gets it. He cares about the team, but he cares more about the 40 years after you're on the Notre Dame team than the four years you're on the team. Bro, I completely agree. And I never got that vibe from Brian Kelly. I don't know him. I've never been in a locker room with him, but I never got the vibe that he gave a shit about his people. And like, definitely you can tell Freeman does. And I don't remember, was Freeman, was he under Trestle? Did he play for Trestle or did he play for Urban Meyer? Did he play for Trestle? I think he played for Trestle. Yeah. And and, And Trestle was like that too. Yeah, exactly. All about his people. Yeah. And, and, practical reality when you're all about your people good things happen i mean look at what notre dame has done and i know i'm biased but look at notre dame's recruiting since marcus freeman we talked about recruiting earlier in this episode talk about the recruiting that marcus freeman has done they are recruiting at an entirely different level and and this is not a dig on brian kelly because brian kelly's behavior actually is modeled by many leaders in the corporate world yeah marcus freeman is the primary recruiter on every player at Notre Dame. The position coach is the secondary recruiter. 
there are very few schools in the country that are like that. In fact, I don't know any other school in the country where listed on the sheet of the primary recruiter is the head is coach. The head coach. He leads, and he has said it time and time again, recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. It's like in real estate, location, location, location. He's all about recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. And we see that because we are just barely behind the Ohio State University at number three in the 2024 uh, football <laughs> recruitings. Notre Dame yes. is at number 24. I think if I look at the points most recently, I'm looking at these on 24-7 sports. I think Ohio State has a total score on the SBC points of 238.14. Notre Dame has a score of 236.05. Again, it's that two-point spread. It's like Oklahoma State, Brad. <laughs> Two points behind, but there's more time to go in the recruiting. We're not done yet. I think we're yeah, going to yeah. get over the over the finish line. Okay, I think so, we're so really quick, Joey, we, we, we play you guys the first game of the season and, you know, we're playing, we're we're playing South Bend, right? It's, it's touchdown Jesusville and it's going to be really hard for us. I mean, I, I think it's going to be a game where I think your team is going to come out on top. I really do. We got an inexperienced quarterback. Uh, we got a lot of holes to fill and we had a really tough loss against Georgia. That game, I think we should have won. I agree. Uh, and then I think we would, I agree. Then I think we would run the national championship. Had we won I that totally game, agree. But, if you win that game, you're done. We, right. We're I, done, I, I yeah. totally agree. No, I agree with you. What I what I'm so excited about this game, Jay, is because I love going into games where it could be either team. And it could yeah. be either team when they're both really good teams. You know, Notre Dame is also going to have a new quarterback. Now, he's not new in the sense that he has done amazing things. He transferred. Uh, Sam Hartman transferred from Wake Forest. So he's oh, an he's amazing, a great, amazing great, great quarterback. quarterback. But playing in a new school and a new system with new receivers. So there's going to be some some learning curve there. And playing in Notre Dame Stadium as the quarterback on the good team. I mean, the home team for the first time. Uh, so that's <laughs> going to be a little bit different for him. But uh, what I do think is it's going to be a great game between great schools. And what I love about Oklahoma State and about Ohio State is they're great schools with great fans who love the game and respectfully, I think, see the importance of the game in the value that it deserves. They don't overemphasize. There are some schools where it's like football is the end-all, be-all. And I and I love football. I love college football. But friends, I'm sorry. <laughs> There are more things in life than college football. And as much as the three of us love it and we get excited about it, and I'm I'm looking at recruiting sites and I'm excited about the season and I get weird <laughs> about it, I too. get it. I also know that it's a game. And let's play the game. Let's have fun. Let's see who comes out on the end. And shake hands at the end and wish each other well. That's Amen, right. brother. I can't wait for the text threads this fall, man. It's going to be classic. <laughs> I love classic. it. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Well, guys. We're coming up on an hour. We we got to say goodbye. But, Joey, again, I just want to tell you how much fun it's had having you on, uh, getting to know you, spending time with you in D.C. I, I, we had a great dinner. I sat across from you, had a lot of great conversation, and uh, you just are a great human being, and, and I'm glad to get to call you a friend today, buddy. Oh, thanks, Brett. The feeling is mutual. Jay, thanks so much for having me on the show. I'm a listener to the show, so it's always an honor to be on the show and be a guest. You guys are rock stars. And thanks to everybody else who is watching and listening in and letting us banter a little bit about college football there at the end. Hopefully, you got some ideas on how your recruiting can get you folks that are more interested in being connected to your organization for 40 years instead of four years. So here's hoping we were able to provide that today. Love it, bro. Love it. Thank you so much, man. From my co-host, Dr. Jay Greenstein, I'm Brad Cost. Have a good day. See y'all.